hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Side piece account. Financial one night stand. Credit disease. Financial STD. <laughs> what are we talking about? We're warming you up for a titillating conversation with Tara Jackson, aka Madam Money, where we talk about financial fornication and our financial languages. Tara is a personal finance expert who's on TV, radio, and everywhere else. She's a spokesperson, brand ambassador, award-winning international speaker, and the best-selling author of Financial Fortification and Four Financial Languages. Tara is also a credit union executive VP and CEO, so she knows her stuff. You're listening to Queer Money episode number 392. If you hang on to the very end, we'll share how you can get a chance to possibly win a free copy of Tara's book, Four Financial Languages, The Secret to Communicating About Money. So let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome, Tara, Miss Madam Money Jackson to the Queer Money Podcast. <laughs> hey, my two favorite people. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I'm excited about this conversation. Financial fornication. Yeah. Sounds very sexy. It's very sexy. <laughs> it's scary. Right? Can, you, can you fornicate with your money? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've done it for many, many years. I'm, you know, Financial Fornicators Anonymous, so... <laughs> It's pretty much not having a plan with your money and abusing the power of money without a commitment, without a plan. That's where the plan is, right? So you're, you're going outside of what you need to do to get what you want, right? And so a lot of us are guilty of that where, you know, retail therapy is really real. You know, the, the less we feel, the more we spend some of it, that's just, you know, you know, I wrote a book, the four financial languages, that's just our language is spending, you know what I mean? And so with us, our spenders, we go based on how we feel happy, sad, medium, whatever, you know, spending is that pleasure principle. So that's financial fornication. It's interesting. You describe it this way, because literally like five minutes ago, I saw a meme on Twitter, which was an actual screenshot of a Victor Frankl's book. And he basically said, without purpose, we will go and seek pleasure. And that's kind of what you're saying here. If we don't have purpose with our money, it's right. likely going to head down to the pleasure path. And mm-hmm. more but, often than not, that's short-term pleasure, right? <laughs> exactly. So the, the purpose gives us focus to go down for long term, right? Even though it may not feel good right now, we know there's a purpose, there's a reason, and pleasure is at the end of that reason. But if we don't have the purpose to get to the long-term pleasure, we're gonna go for a short-term pleasure, which is the transaction. Yeah. Or whatever our vice is. Yeah, exactly. Shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Shopping. Coffee. I think, you know, it's it's funny (laughs) because we went down this path so many times in our lives as well when we had our credit card debt. And I think even, you know, even some of the best personal finance 
experts out there from time to time, we lose a little bit of a focus and all of a sudden we find ourselves, oh, you know what? Let's have two martinis tonight instead of one, or let's let's extend this vacation a little bit, right. or let's summon take a nicer like speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I, think- I, I say that the best financial experts experience what they talk about, right? So if you've been a spender, if you've been a financial fornicator, if you have financial STDs, substantially <laughs> tremendous debt, you know, because you've been there, you understand the pain. It gives you some empathy. And those are the ones that make the best financial experts and counselors and coaches. hundred percent. I think you, you you just referred to us all as experts. I appreciate the compliment. I'm sure I know that Tara is definitely an expert. <laughs> expert at experiencing things. But I think, to your point, like we're all human, even though we have the podcast and we're on social media and we're trying to help everybody with their finances, we're all, we're still human at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. I think this brings up an interesting point. I think if I understand correctly, you were also in financial services, mostly in the credit union space. Yeah. David and I were in financial services, and you know you've you've admitted to being a financial fornicator and having S- STD. I feel <laughs> bad saying that. It's a financial STD. Yeah, no. let's, let's clarify. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but then. We were there too. And this seems to be so prolific in our industry. You know, th- theoretically, financial advisors and planners and bank managers, we should all be theoretically we're seen as experts. But yeah, <laughs> but we're not. Why why do you think it seems to be such a, a challenge, even within our own industry? Well, how about I was the president and CEO of a credit union, but my my finances were trash, right? I yeah. could run a financial institution, I could stay on budget, I could create a budget. You know what I'm saying? had a great relationship with my CFO. Like we talked about everything, everything I wanted to do. My, I, I involved my CFO, but when it came to my personal finances, I didn't use the same practices at work in home. Mm-hmm. Right. I got lazy. And so, because work stressed me out so much home or after work was, I need as much pleasure as possible. Cause if not, I'm going to go and do something bad. So <laughs> that's how stressful, you know, financial services industry. Yeah. She's going to end up on 2020. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, don't end up on 2020. Lady that, yeah, no, we don't want to, I don't want to be that chick. So, um, you know, we're still trying to find ourselves. And a lot of us, we may not be personally disciplined. You know, that's like that doctor that may be overweight and smoking telling other people how to live a healthier life. You know what I'm saying? Just because we know what to do doesn't mean we do it. Just because you know better doesn't always mean you'll do better. So at some point we have to get, you know, personally, because we're human as well, we got to get to that point where we have to start building up our purpose and figure out what we want in our lives and practice what we preach. Because preachers don't always practice what they preach. That's but crazy. they know from education <laughs> or experience what how to help other people. I have a couple of thoughts right there, but I want to follow Wait, the original. You told me thought. the other day that you only have one thought at a time. Sometimes <laughs> not even. Sometimes not even one. <laughs> what should the general public take from the challenges that those of us in the financial services industry, those of us who are experts, have had with our finances? Anything that any takeaways that the general public should should have with that? I would say the general public should appreciate that your expert, your coach, your counselor has experienced some challenges because they've overcome them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The reason why people follow Jesus is not because he died, it's because he resurrected, right? 
you know, it, had he not recorrected, the story probably would have went another way. So there's, there, <laughs> there, was there, a, there wouldn't be a story. <laughs> right. You're, exactly. It wouldn't have been as hot. You know what I mean? So <laughs> we, we have gone through financial resurrection, even though we may have, you know, I've been through the collections, the foreclosures, the student loans, very bitter about my student loans, you know, the, all of that, because I've overcome it, I can now educate people what not to do. Or if you're in that situation, how to get out of it. Yeah. And, you know, I know the jargon. I, I know what they're looking for. I know how to ask for certain things. A lot of people don't know what to ask for. So because I've experienced it, I am now an expert in that so that I can help other people become experts in their family finances. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. I think there are personal finance experts out there who put themselves out there as never having made a financial mistake. And I think it's a yeah. little bit, comes across a little bit disingenuous or at the very least, I can't necessarily relate to you because right. it's judgmental. you're perfect gonna, and I'm not. Right. They're obviously perfect. And you're not going to understand, you know, the emotions that I'm feeling because talking to, you know, having financial issues is an emotional, mental pain. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So if you've never experienced it, you don't have any empathy for what I'm going through, not just financially, but emotionally. Right you know, spiritually, mentally, right. and sometimes and we, physically. We definitely need more empathy in personal finance space. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So why do you think it's so, you've written two, for several books about finances. Why do you think it's so hard even today, despite the plethora of blogs and podcasts and experts and TV shows about finances? Why do you think it's even today still so hard for people to have this conversation? Because they're not taught at an early age to make it a habit. Mm -hmm. Right. We're taught at a certain time and everything that we know about money is probably been somewhat of a lie. And so now we have to believe a new truth. Is it really the truth? Now it's uncomfortable because I got so used to being bad at money relatively. Right. Or fornicating with my money. Now you're telling me I have to be financially abstinent, abstinent. Really? <laughs> I don't want to. Right. Yeah. So if we had learned early on elementary school, about money, true money, how to budget. And I teach elementary school students the bucket system, and that helps them to understand budgeting in the future. If we had understood that, that would be a common practice. That's why reading, writing, arithmetic, that's why two and two is four. We can add that when we're, what, six all the way up to, what, 90, 600, right? <laughs> I do believe that if we have it somewhere in the schools, and if not in the schools, at the home to teach us early on, it would not be as difficult to grasp onto it and do it as adults. But, you know, the parents can't teach what they don't know. Right. And the parents aren't going to know if they haven't been taught. Yeah. So that's that's the challenge. And, the, and then people a lot of time will tell you what to do and they'll hear what to do. But it's scary trying to figure it out and do it yourself. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Right. And I would probably say for, for a lot of parents, they don't want to teach it because they may have to, well, first they have to face the truths themselves, right? right? 
especially if there's some skeletons in their closets or there are some things in their life currently that they probably don't want their kids to necessarily know about. Mm -hmm. And then that makes it harder to, yeah, you, you, I think most parents want to come off to their children as they're the ones who have done it right, or they are the ones who are teaching them how to do it right, but don't want to necessarily expose their mistakes. And some of them don't want to stress the child out because children get stressed. And if they learn that their mommy and daddy is having money issues, that can cause a stressor for a child that may be unnecessary that, you know, the parent feel is unnecessary. They're already stressed at school and everything like that. So that's true. I just say, find something and learn together. So even if it's like the stock market, I do like a stock scavenger hunt with families where we go around the house and we find what you buy the most. Is it name brand? Is that brand on, on the stock? Is it publicly traded? If it's publicly traded, how many shares, how much does it cost per share? Is it going up or is it going down or whatever? So we look at the graph and if it's going up, relatively up, that may be something as a family, you want to buy one or two shares in. So every time you buy it at the store, you're buying it from a company you own. So that teaches the entire family about ownership and makes them excited about investing. And so hopefully then they'll start investing more and doing more. So you started doing fun. I mean, I used to do that with my son where, okay, we only have this amount of money. I need you to find me things that we normally get. That's name brand and find something that's not name brand. That's cheaper. And whatever extra money we have, we'll, you know, I'll treat you or we'll do something. So you're kind of gamifying it for the children a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, you have to, that's how they understand that that, and, and repetition, you know, when it's fun, they'll, they'll continue to learn. Like I always say, if I can make you laugh, I can make you learn. Because if it's fun, I'm going to remember fun things. I'm not going to remember boring, tedious things. I might remember it. I'll remember that it's boring and tedious. (laughs) Algebra. Right. I love algebra and calculus and trigonometry and everybody who's like, you're crazy. All right. Let's talk about some of Madam Money's vernacular. I I love it. What is a... When I heard this, I was like, it's brilliant. What is a side piece account? Oh gosh, I love my side piece account. Sorry. (laughs) A side piece account. Most people, when I ask them, do they have a savings account? They say yes. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's usually that savings account that's tied to their checking account. So every time the checking account can't give them what they want, they tap that asset of the, of the savings account. Right. And that's what I consider as a side piece account. It's there to give you the immediate or temporary pleasure that your main checking account can't provide you, right? So a lot of people will lie to themselves and say, oh, well, I have $500. I put $500 a month in my savings account, but they're spending 450 of it before the end of the month, right? Right. So I consider that as a a psychological side piece account. Now, a true savings account, I, I call it a mama account, a reverence account, right? The savings account is not tied to the checking account, not in the same financial institution. It probably will take effort to get the money out and you set it and forget it. So you have money going straight to that savings account and you kind of forget that it's there because the whole logic is that savings account may not give you everything that you want when you want it, but it will build up to give you what you need. So that's why I call it a mama account or a reverence account, right? So there's a lot of people that have that side piece account that's tied to their checking account and wonder why they can't save. Well, that's why, because a side piece was never designed 
to give you what you need. It's only designed for temporary ple pleasure and it's temporary. And we're talking about banking accounts, okay? Right. <laughs> Get your mind out together. <laughs> no, but I think it's, it, 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 no, it is. It, it, it's great that you, you use the language that I think a lot of people are are comfortable using, right? I think it was Gabby Dunn who, on the very first episode of, of their podcast, the Bad with Money podcast, did a, or maybe it was back when they were doing stuff for. BuzzFeed. But the one that walked into Starbucks and asked people, what's your favorite sexual position? What's the balance in your account? And people wanted to answer the sexual position question, didn't want to answer the balance in your account question. So Absolutely. if you kind of tie it to things that people already kind of enjoy talking about, it does make you feel a little bit more comfortable because it well, gives you to snicker me, about a little bit. Let right? me tell you, let me tell you something. The reason why I wrote financial fornication, the way I wrote it is because I saw a Hardy's commercial and it was when they were doing the sexy <laughs> campaign. I don't know if y'all remember, do, but yeah. they had a chick with a bikini on top of a car, spraying herself with water and then biting into a freaking cheeseburger. And it was all of that just to sell a cheeseburger. So my thought was, if sex can sell a cheeseburger, it damn sure can sell financial literacy. <laughs> so that's when I was like, OK, well, if people want to talk, people want to talk about who they slept with, who they want to sleep with, but nobody wants to talk about their crappy credit. So let's put that together. Let's see right. how that's going to work. I mean, I really thought I was going to be ostracized from every religion known to man, but the churches love it because, you know, we, we got to, you know, we all, we all need to be delivered from financial fornication. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it does, it does make sense, right? You know, when you think about this side piece and some of the other terms that you use, that there is a little bit of a, oh yeah, I do that, but I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, it, and it's the same thing when it comes to the sexual side of it too. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't do that. Don't, don't, do, don't do that. Okay, so something you probably shouldn't do too often. I wouldn't say maybe never, but what is a financial one night stand? <laughs> okay, so a financial one night stand is usually that purchase where it, it requires it's a couple hundred dollars or whatever, and it's something that can be paid off immediately. But you put it on a credit card. And you turn that financial one night stand into a long term relationship. And we all know most of the time, nine times out of 10, one night stands should never be drawn out to long term. <laughs> never become LTRs. Every, every, every once in a while it may work out, but you know, I wouldn't chance it. But those financial one night stands are meant to be a one night stand. If it's less than like $500, I say pay it off. Don't put it on a credit card. Don't pay the minimum payment. I mean, as a financial institution, you know, president, if you want to pay me the interest and make us rich, I really appreciate your money. But as a, you know, as a financial advocate or a consumer advocate, I'm like, why give the bank your money when you can save up and pay that off? Right. You know, not if it's a couple thousand dollars, I get it. But if it's like five hundred dollars or less, don't drown. Don't you? If you know, if he's not that cute, don't <laughs> don't call him again. Just don't do it. Now, SBV is saying, please keep all that money on. on loan. We, we need that interest. Right. Right. Now. right. Yeah, they're like, please yeah, give me the money. A lot, of, a lot of small banks right now that are like, please don't pay it off. Don't pay it off. Please make me your long term relationship. Yes. <laughs> Then what is financial and credit disease? Dis-ease. Well, when you're having financial issues, 
that is the disease. That's all a disease is, is a dis-ease, whether it's in the body, whether it's in the mind, you have a dis-ease, your body is out of ease, right? And mm-hmm. so a lot of times we are dealing with financial situations, whether it is because of you lost your job, if it's because of you, you know, a family emergency or something that you weren't prepared for financially, but you had to figure out how to do it. And now you're in a financial bind or a financial situation. You're in dis-ease. Mm-hmm. So the object of the game is to find out what is the cure for the dis-ease. Sometimes it's financial abstinence. Sometimes it could be, you know, bankruptcy, you know, that's the last resort, but you have to identify and go to a professional and do not self-diagnose. Please do not self-diagnose because if you do the wrong thing, if you do bankruptcy prematurely, that's going to negatively affect you and other things that you may want to do. That's why that purpose is important, that plan, but also talking to a professional. Yeah, exactly. So too many financial one night stands can give you a financial STD, which is a financial disease, right? Yes, there you go. Because substantially tremendous debt is the STD, which will cause that financial dis-ease. And now you need cures. Yeah. Which takes me to my favorite quote of yours that I read was, you said once, credit is like sex just because you, you can doesn't mean you should. And if you do, Use protection. Use protection. A budget. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite quote. Yeah, that is. We we often say that ours is now, and I feel like our talking point for credit cards is is so boring now. Ours is credit cards. Credit cards are like swimming in the the deep end. If you don't know how to swim, stay in the shallow end. If you know, if you're comfortable swimming, then fine. Use credit, but use it wisely. A lot of fun can happen in the deep end. A lot of fun can happen in the deep end. Okay, (laughs) look, we can make that sexy. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Well, you know, you you have a diving board. You have all. You know, there's all sorts of things that you can do in the deep end of a pool. But if Mm -hmm. you don't, you can't swim. You can't swim. You got one job. Don't die. Come on. Come on. Don't do it. So what are some of the tools that you suggest that people use to make sure that they're, they, they, well, that they use protection? What are the proper protective tools for people to use to manage their money and to help them make sure they don't have that STD, financial Um, STD? And I'm going to speak to spenders because most of the time it's the spenders that have these, these issues, right? We're not bad. We're not bad people. A saver's not better than a spender or not, you know, better than anything. But as spenders, we have to be very careful. We need spending plans. One, not a budget. Because when we hear budget, we hear diet, die. No, I can. We don't have time for that negativity in our life. So... <laughs> We like spending plans. How are we planning on spending our money? Because the transaction is what gives us a pleasure principle. So I can spend on savings, spend on investing, spend on giving and spend on everything else I want, right? We also need boundaries. So I don't give myself a lot of access to all of my money. Okay, so I do have the reverence account. I may have another account or if I go out, I don't take all my credit cards. I take one credit card, which is like my spending account. So I know what's in there or I'll use cash. Cash is king, right? Mm-hmm. Because the debit card w- makes you feel like everything's unlimited until it declines, yeah. right? So you don't have a wherewithal of how much money you're spending. But when you see that cash go away and now you're left, you had 200, now you're left with a 20, you know, something's mentally going to go off in, in you as far as boundaries are concerned, okay? 
I would kick out a lot of the non-essential, non-essential spending, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, so instead of eating out five times a week, why don't we just do it to, you know, let's start with three and then go down to two times a week, you know, see if we can actually cook or whatever. Mm-hmm. And going out means what are those Uber Eats and everything like that? Yeah. Instead of doing it seven days a week, let's try to buy some groceries and only do it maybe four times a week or whatever, right? right. So don't cold turkey. Cold turkey means that you're going to be famished, you know, mentally you'll be famished and you'll want to indulge more. And what else was it? Financial abstinence. Financial abstinence means just not using credit until you can get a handle on it. You know, from what I hear, if you have an STD, I don't know. I don't know this for sure, but the doctor will usually tell you, Hey, stop having sex. Don't do it. Just, just <laughs> take, stop, a minute okay? take, take a minute. Take, take some Evidently, time no doctors right? have told Tara to not have sex. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if well, any doctor has children. Has so it didn't work. Right. It did not work. I did not listen. Still not listening. That's my business. But um, financial abstinence is just not using credit for a while until you can get a handle of it, until you can pay it down. Cause a lot of people pay it down, use it, pay it down, use it, pay it down. And it's not paying it off. They're just paying it down so they can use it. So you're still paying all that interest and giving it to the bank. Shout out to all the banks that really like to take your interest. But <laughs> you know, once you stop using credit for a, you know, temporarily until you can pay things off, you know, that is a good way to avoid the financial STDs as well. The best way is to really consult with a financial professional that you like, know, and trust that can give you some strategies and not just sell you products, right? Sometimes consolidation is not the key. You know, sometimes buying this product is not the key. Sometimes it's just strategy. Sometimes it's the snowball effect. You know, sometimes it's the avalanche effect. So yeah, talk to a professional like me or the debt-free guys. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So you talked about the four financial languages and you talked about there's the spending language. Do you mind giving us a high level overview of what the other three languages are? Sure. It's saving. The, the four languages are saving, spending, investing, and giving. So I've done a lot of research over about 15 years because a lot of marriage counselors or pastors will call me in when there is an issue about money. And so my job was to listen, interpret, then translate to each of them, what they were saying financially, because they just weren't hearing each other. And that's when I realized it's like a language. One person speaking Spanish, another one speaking Greek. They may be saying the same thing, but there is a language barrier that's there. So the four dominant ones are the saving, spending, investing, and giving. So savers, they like safety, security, and control. They like the word budget because that means that they can tell their money where it's going. So they, they need that. And if a saver's savings account gets below a certain threshold, they will freak the heck out. Like there is a, there is a threshold (laughs) and if they get near it, things are going to, you know, there'll be that wealth warden. And if you ask for pizza, they'll give you $3 and say, go get a slice. You'll be all right. Everybody on our show has heard about the head of lettuce. (laughs) We got into a fight at Whole Foods once because I wanted to get a head of lettuce real quick on the way home. And it was, I don't know, what does a head of lettuce cost? $1.29? I don't don't know what it was. We got about $1.29. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about wording. But I'm the spender. Okay. So we'll talk about the spenders last, right? Because you might do. (laughs) So an investor, they're always seeking the return on investment, whether it is financial emotional, spiritual, or whatever, anything that they 
put forth anything, they want a return on investment. They are very uh, key learners. If they want to learn something about something, they're going to go and actively seek it, active learners. And they need to, you know, they need to have their answers questions. Like don't tell an investor, don't lie to them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because they'll kill the deal, whatever it is. They may want to invest in you, but if at least if you say, I don't know, let's find out, they're okay with that. And they understand that risk is relative to reward. So they're not scared to lose the money. They just want to know all the facts before they can make an informed decision Mm -hmm. with that. Right. The givers, I love my givers because their, their heart is how can I help? Right. They, they they're the resource person. But what I also love about givers is they're naturally fiscally bilingual. So they're naturally fiscally bilingual. Okay. Which means that they naturally speak at least two financial languages. So if a giver can give money, they're probably also a saver. If a giver gives gifts, they're probably also a spender. Mm -hmm. And if a giver like angel investors or whatever, they're probably also investors. So that's what I love about that. Yeah. Now our spenders. (laughs) Our spenders, our pleasure principle is the transaction. Now we may have vices to the transaction. Mine is food and alcohol. Don't judge me. But hey, um, we are like, all in the set that same we little are boat. twins. We're sisters right? from another mister. Right, exactly. We are twins, right? And so we look for that transaction. That's what you know, and that's where the retail therapy really comes into play, especially if we're upset, even if we're happy, we're gonna spend money somewhere and we're gonna do it with our vice that we have, right? Some people's vice are clothes, some are shoes. You know, y'all know what mine is, you know, lemon pepper wings and vodka. I'm just saying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But we do that. But what I need people to understand is that a saver, again, is not better than a spender, not better than a giver, not better than an investor. We're all the same, right? What makes one worse is the excess. You can oversave and interrupt a good lifestyle because you're hoarding cash, Mm -hmm. right? And you're not investing and you're not enjoying life and you're not giving back to the universe. You can overspend and spend all your money. You can overgive and give all your money away, or you can overinvest and invest and lose all your money. So it's really about balance and it's about understanding all four languages so you can speak it and understand it when it serves you. So even if I'm a spender, When we start talking about investing, I understand the language of investing. I can speak the language of investing and I now can execute it in my language. So I'm going to spend on investing, right? So that's where the whole book came from. And it was very successful when I implemented it in all my case studies. And I wrote the book. Sure. I love that. So I'm curious, what happens when you have people, a couple in a relationship who have two different Love uh, uh, love languages, financial languages. How do you get thing. them to? <laughs> probably the same thing. It's probably the same thing, right? <laughs> how do you get them to get on this? They probably are. They could be on the same page, but how do you get them to understand each other a little bit better so they can work together as a team with what their mm-hmm. goals are? First thing you need to do is buy the four financial languages because I actually explain how to communicate. You know, so if you are in a relationship with a saver and you're a spender, I give you an example of a conversation about, you know, how to, we're going to want to spend some money. So how do you communicate to a saver that doesn't want to spend any money that you want to spend some money, right? 
John, so, how do you communicate to me that you want to spend money? He probably just says, I want to spend this money. I just say, I, just or, say, I, I bought this thing, David. Right. To the budget. right, right. So His I communication probably, is the package showing up on the front door. Right, right. Oh, I forgot right. to tell you about that. Yeah, <laughs> what, financial infidelity. Okay, well, at least you're not hiding it. You know, it, it is on the door. No, he sees um, it coming up the walkway on his ring phone. On his like, ring Why phone. is the Amazon guy here again? again like first name basis. but really you you just like if you were speaking two different languages if you love each other enough you're going to learn each other's language right so that you can communicate to one another in their language and then you'll create your own language together right but it doesn't change the fact that you have different languages it's just who you are but if i can communicate and tell you i love you in your language you're going to appreciate me more and maybe be less defensive and learn my language as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because a, sa a spender, I do, I did have to learn saving how to communicate to savers because I was dated, I dated a saver. And everything I said coming out of my mouth that he heard was spend, 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 spend. I didn't think so. I think we needed some stuff and we had to buy it, but you know, <laughs> but in his ear, it was spend, 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 spend. So I had to say, well, babe, we really need this item right now, but can you help me shop around to see if we can find the best deal that's within our budget and see how that's going to work out? You're so diplomatic. So, right. <laughs> but what, but what, but what David's going to hear is shop around best deal within budget. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he may not say yes, but he may be more open than saying, Oh, I, we need to buy this. He's going to be like, we have 20,000 TVs in this house. We do not need another TV, okay? Look, we already have a head of lettuce that we have. How many heads of lettuce do you need? Right. The, probably the reverse is true then. Then if I, if I say, we need this, go find a way to get it and get it, keep it under budget. Then he hears, oh, I get to spend. And he right. goes off and tries so, to spend. But you're, you're going to have to give us a little bit more boundary than under budget because we don't like the word budget. Yeah. So we, you know, if you tell me not to spend my money because I can be a narcissistic spender, you know, I I worked hard for this. I got this money. This is my money. And you're not going to tell me not to spend my money because I'll spend my money, your money and everybody else's money. How about that? Mm -hmm. So we we can be very, you know, spiteful, petty, call me petty LaBelle, call me what you want. <laughs> but what, what you can say is, you know, we need this. I need you to go find it and buy it. But we need to like keep it around three hundred three to five hundred dollars. OK. We've already bought it <laughs> in our mind. We already know. Yeah. You tell me I have five hundred dollars extra to sp spend this week. Two seconds. I already know what I'm going to buy. You know, so it, it does work that way. It's so funny. I the running joke in our house is he's David will say something that you know we need this or we should look at getting that, and then I, then I say, oh, I just bought it on Amazon. Like, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, like, I, I just bought it on Amazon. That's how good I am. It'll be here tomorrow. Exactly. I already bought it on Amazon. See, I can read your mind. I already knew. That's awesome. I love it. So, what do you think if someone's listened to this episode? They and their partner speak different financial languages. How do you think they should get the? What's the first thing? First thing they should do after they get the book, which they might be able to get a free copy of it if they listen to the end of this episode. Awesome. 
one, I love telling people, and this is also in the book and teaching you how to do it is to have money dates. Okay. Mm. A money date is not sitting at the table talking about how much money you get in all the bills and everything. It's the complete opposite. You actually go out on a date, whether it's dinner, movie, you have fun together, dancing, whatever you both like to do together. You come back and you you're intimate, whether it's sex, whether it is cuddling, whether it is caressing or whatever. And I talk about the chakras, right? And the importance of chakras, what chakras are and the importance of chakras and all of that, having fun together, being intimate together opens up chakras. And when your chakras are open, that just means it opens you up to be more compromising or more open to other ideas. So we want to give you comfortable, relaxed, not defensive, because if you're sitting at a table talking about money and bills and all that, somebody's going to get defensive, mm-hmm. especially if it's a saver and a spender talking. The, Never the happened spender, here. The spender is going to get defensive. I'm, I'm just here to tell you. And we don't want that to happen. So we want to have a loving situation. And you're not talking about money per se, but you're talking about goals. What is it that we want to accomplish? What is our purpose? What do we want to do? Do we want to buy a house? Do we want to go on vacation? Do we want to be debt free? What is it that we, you know, we want to do together? Mm-hmm. And then what do we need to do to make this happen? And naturally, both of them or both of you will find, well, maybe instead of us, you know, a spender, when a spender says, well, maybe instead of us spending money on food every day, why don't we just do that maybe two or three times a week? That's huge mm-hmm. if a spender makes a recommendation to stop spending, but you want that to come from a spender. Yeah. Right. And the saver, you know, maybe we can adjust our budget so we can do more fun things together. And maybe if we pay off this debt, maybe then we'll do something fun together. Right. So you're having that conversation. That's a money date. Mm-hmm. Of course you need to have the sit down. Okay. Here are the bills or whatever. Sure. But when you're doing a true money date, it should be enjoyable. You should have fun having these conversations. And when you start having fun, having a conversation, you won't have as many, you know, money misunderstandings, you know, dollar disagreements or crucial cash conversations. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so those budget battles, you don't want Queen those. of alliteration. Right. I love it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, those money days. And I give you examples. I even give you like a whole 12 months of ideas of, you know, what to talk about, what topics to talk about. Cause you're not going to talk about the same thing every time you have a money date, but at least right. once a month, have that money date, talk about a specific topic. You know, what are some of your goals? What do you want to do? Do you want to go back to school? Do you want to, what do you want to do? And then figure out, well, how can we make this happen together? It may not going to happen now, but within the next five or 10 years. Absolutely. I love it. So we are going to give away a free copy of the four financial languages to those of our listeners and viewers who stay on to the end. But how else can our listeners and viewers connect with you if they want to get more Madam Money Jackson? All they have to do is go to madammoney.com, M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y.com. You can also Google me, boo. You know, She's I should all be over. first age. <laughs> She's all over. And you have a great sizzle reel, I have to say. I don't know who, who did that for you, but you have a great sizzle reel. Letitia. <laughs> oh, really? You know, That's Letitia. wonderful. Great yes, job. Cool. It's great. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great having you. I think our audience will really understand the language that you use. And I think a lot of them will be able to relate to it. I know that definitely David and I definitely did ourselves. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I miss y'all. Likewise. 
make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you again, Tara, for a fun and informative interview. It's always great to see you. Thank you, our listeners, again, for listening to another episode of the podcast. Here's your queer money takeaway from this episode. Buy Tara's books, both of them, Financial Fornication and The Four Financial Languages. For a chance to possibly win a free copy of Tara's book, Four Financial Languages, The Secret to Communicating About Money, reply to the show notes that will email about this episode with the subject line, book. If you're not already on the Queer Money Podcast email list, WTF, <laughs> subscribe via the link in your podcast player. Then join us Tuesday when we share the steps for how LGBTQ plus students who live in hate states can afford out-of-state tuition in accepting states. Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.